Hey, Sam. What, Michael? <laughs> what do trans people and fighter jets have in common? Stealth mode. <laughs> Hi, this is Sam Garman. And this is Michael Soto. You are listening to Transform. The podcast where we explore the stories and experiences of folks who are transgender. Beyond the transition. One, two, three, four. What did your mom say? What is your real name? How about those drugs that you take? And does your voice change? How come you don't feel ashamed? What kind of love do you make? But you don't care about my answers Your questions ignore me Let me tell you a story On today's episode, we are going to uh, tackle a topic that has the potential to have lots of potholes. And so we are going to, (laughs) we're going to do our best to uh, give some good information about the topics of stealth and passing and choosing to be visible as a trans person. Uh, This is, this one's fraught. This one, these have the potential of making people send us emails, which we are happy to receive. um, And we will willingly engage in further conversation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's get into it, Sam. Let's get into it. All right. So let's define the terms first. Seems like a good idea. All right. So what is stealth? So stealth, I so I read a couple articles recently that have had different definitions of this. Okay. But for the sake of our conversation, we're going to refer to stealth as when someone has come out as transgender and transitioned, mm-hmm. done a physical, medical, social transition, um, and then does not disclose their trans status any longer. So yeah. to be able to be stealth really depends on passing. And so maybe uh, you can talk about the definition of passing what is passing sure uh so for this conversation when we're talking about passing we are talking about um the world perceiving you as uh the gender identity um and expression that you choose to show the world um so example uh would be for me um i pass pretty well uh, most folks uh, that meet me today and that have not known me before a transition don't know that I'm trans. Um, in fact, I ran into this recently with some friends of mine. Uh, when I was, we were talking about our childhoods and toys that we had in our childhoods. And I was talking about the Barbie dream house that my mother had bought me and how I remodeled it. And then I was pretty much done with it. <laughs> Because <laughs> it was very like pink and stuff, right? Yeah, and I liked blue and other sure. colors, and so I repainted it and laid down some tile. Did that sort of stuff. I was really excited about it. Um, <laughs> and then I lost interest, <laughs> and my friends were like, "Wow, your mom was so progressive!" And I just kind of smiled and like looked at them. I was like, mm, and they <laughs> waited for a second, and then they're like, "Oh, wait!" And I was like, "Yes, there's the thing." <laughs> um, and the thing is, they, you know, they kind of giggled uh and we're just like when i think of you as a child i think of a little boy i forget <laughs> you know yeah um so that's you know passing right yep. um in every aspect of my life if i choose to not disclose people just assume i'm a cisgender dude yep and then um the idea of visibility is around um 
being open about your identity as a transgender person, mm-hmm. um, even if you pass. So choosing to remain open, choosing to, you know, still, and, and it's things like it's sort of everyday life, right? So it's tagging Instagram photos with hashtag trans man mm-hmm. or um, doing a podcast about transgender stories and experiences possibly is, is one way one could be visible. <laughs> Maybe um, a little bit. Just, I mean, that's just like one simple way. It's, a, it's an obscure example, Sam. I don't it's know really, where you got that from. really an obscure example. Um, <laughs> So it's it's those kind of things where even if you can pass yeah. that you would choose to continue to tell people that you're trans. Right. Um, and we'll talk a little bit in the later in the episode about like why folks make these choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and we wanted to start a little bit with the history because um, it's important to understand that you know trans folks today didn't just like spring up out of the earth unbidden. Like we're not new. So there is this long history of how trans folks have chosen to be in the world and how they have been forced to be in the world in order to get medical care, et cetera. And so um, Michael is going to talk a little bit about the history of how some of these standards came up um, as it relates to sort of the context of this conversation. Right. So in the early to mid uh, 20th century, um, medical transition became a real possibility for transgender people um, through uh, the research of um, different uh, different scientists and social scientists like um, Hirschfeld, right, the German social scientist mm-hmm. um, whose research and institute was destroyed by the Nazis, um, as well as other uh, doctors and social scientists in the United States and all around uh, and in Europe. Um, so one of those social scientists was Harry Benjamin, um, and he actually came up with the standards of care um, because he was passionate about helping transgender people transition um, and um, become the people that we are, right? Um, mm-hmm. He saw mm-hmm. value in that and uh, decided to create a process um, to help that happen uh, so that medical professionals um, and other social scientists would be comfortable uh, in assisting transgender people um, become who we are in transition. Um, and so he came up with these standards of care um, that now we look back at and are like, whoa, that was a lot of gatekeeping. That was a lot of telling people how to live their lives. But at the time, it was re- really revolutionary, right? Um, so in those standards of care, there were things like you had to live for one year as the gender that you are, um, the you know the gender you're transitioning to, um, before you could receive any sort of medical care. So that included hormone therapy, that included surgery, anything like that. Um, and it was very binary, right? So yep. it was very much a, you will, you know, become a woman or become a man or do you know what I mean? Like yeah. It was very like, yeah, yeah. black and white. It was very binary. Um, there wasn't any room for experimentation. You were expected to be heterosexual at the end, no matter what. Um, but included in those standards of care, um, and again, these are like, remember, this is like the mid 20th century. So, you know, very much or early to mid 20th century <clears throat> gender norms are a thing, right? And we're coming to a time in our country, at least, where uh, compulsory heterosexuality is becoming a very much uh, a theme of modern living. If you think about the 1950s, right? Yeah. Like very, very much. <laughs> um, 
Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so gender norms are very enforced during that time, right? It becomes... Think Mad Men. Right. Think Mad Men. <laughs> there you go. Um, you know. Whiskey is for men and pearls are for women. Exactly. Right. So that was a thing. And that was sort of, yeah. you know, during sort of that time period is when uh, we're talking about. So... Um, so those sort of social norms are part of what's shaping how Benjamin goes about this process, um, mm-hmm. which we today, you know, there's a lot of pushback against those kind of gendered and uh, sexual orientation and just social norms. Um, but then, you know, the purpose, he thought he was helping by helping people get to a goal within those social norms. So as a part of these uh, standards of care, stealth was expected, and so was passing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It was expected that your goal would be to always pass um, once you were through transition, um, and it was expected that uh, you would actually live a completely stealth life after completing transition right and i'm using air quotes those were heavy those were heavy air quotes for (laughs) (laughs) i'll narrate them (laughs) Um, because again this was a this was a one-way and a very binary process that that they thought was the way to help trans people transition yeah well Um, and there's also a very clear beginning and end yes in that process so it's like once you have completed all of these steps then you're quote done transitioning right and then at that point you like it's it's over we're done with this chapter of your life now you are going to be stealth exactly and that was the expectation right was to leave your old life move into your new life and the two will never meet right um so that you know that sort of arc of transition that the standards of care created, I think also created a trajectory within the trans community that whether that felt 100% right for people or not, for some I'm sure it did, maybe for others it didn't, um, that was the trajectory that they had to undergo to complete transition. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, it's, it bears mentioning that there are, there remains a standard of care today uh-huh. um, that is less boxed in right but still has a lot of gatekeeping in it Mm -hmm. and it's still technically in there that if you want to have surgery you have to be living as your gender identity for at least a year right like and not every you know again not surgeons and folks can choose to to follow or not follow those standards but the standards are still written in this very gatekeepy way it's not quite as aggressive as you have to leave your home and all your people and move someplace different and then never tell anyone that you're trans again uh you know that's that's an aggressive form of uh standards but this is there is still that level of care um that's that becomes what folks look at when they want to decide how to operate their practice for trans folks um which is another episode entirely but it's it's worth mentioning that that still exists yes so aside from history um now that you've got that background um when we're talking about trans folks today um you know they're passing and stealth are still a reality right Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, how that manifests, at least for us, the two of us today, um, and how that could possibly manifest for other trans folks. Um, and what are some both positive and aspects, uh, positive and negative aspects of stealth and passing? Yeah, I think that um, there are there are some parts of that idea that you know once you once you are on hormones for a certain amount of time, once you get surgery, moving to an entirely different place and nobody knows your name and you kind of get to remake yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's a part of that that's attractive, right? Sure. Um, 
and there's also the reality that that removes you from if you had any supportive people <laughs> yeah. or a support system, now you don't have them anymore because <laughs> you're in a different place. Right. <laughs> um, and that also does not uh, recognize the our current reality of social media. Like mm-hmm. our social media landscape right now is so deeply in embedded in our lives that now to come out as trans, you have to figure out what your social media transition and policy is going to be. And so that, that was one of the things that for me, because I came out more recently than you did. Right. I didn't um, have to navigate the the social (laughs) media transition. (laughs) You like my space wasn't even invented when you came out, was it? No, I, my first profile <laughs> was like me transitioned. <laughs> like, huh, I'm old, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> Back when dinosaurs were on the earth, I came out. <laughs> it was this, this was like after dirt, but before ice. Yeah, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so for, <laughs> for, for, for us late bloomers. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when I came out, I had like at that point I had had a Facebook profile for God ten years at least. Wow, that's incredible. Okay. Yeah. Whoa. I'm, so what was that like? So I was. This was one of the biggest stress points for me. I bet of transition is to figure out like how you know. And I have mentioned on this podcast before that I came from a very very conservative Christian. Mm-hmm world right so the coming out on facebook originally i you know i came on a national coming out day because because when else do you do it because it just seemed right um (laughs) to like kick open the door and of course the very first comment on that post was wait you're gay and but from someone who totally knew i was gay and i was like you are not fucking helping (laughs) (laughs) you think you're so funny (laughs) 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 that is not the point of this story (laughs) Um, but so I had like, I had all of these people from my former life, Wow! like lots of people that I had went to grade school with and high school with that I no longer had any real connection to. Like we didn't see one another. We didn't really like, there wasn't that anymore level of relationship, but we had been connected via Facebook for a decade. Yeah. And so I was like. I don't want any of these people's opinion. Yeah, right. And I don't want to be any of these people's trans poster boy. Uh-huh. So they can be like, wow, what does what does being a trans person look like? Let's check in on Sam's profile. Oh, my God. Wow. So I, <laughs> I made a really conscious decision. It, someone's going to listen to this, and they are <laughs> – like, someone's going <laughs> to – people are going to listen to this and be like, wait a minute. I didn't make the cut. Sorry. <laughs> um, so I made a very – like, a small, specific group of people mm-hmm. on my on my old profile under my birth name. Okay. And I made an announcement. And okay. I said, listen, I this is – you know, this is my new name. This mm-hmm. is – what I like, this is my experience. I've known this for a long time, but I'm just now coming out and I'm going to transition and live my life in this way. Yeah. Um, if you want to remain friends, here's my new profile. Mm-hmm. Like, and so then I started a new profile under my new name, like fresh. I didn't even wow. like a lot of people just change the name on their old profile. And yeah, I was right. like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I don't want the totally like new. 10 years ago you posted this photo and like I didn't want any mm-hmm. of that. So I just yeah. decided like, so I started this whole new profile. Like, I went from 
I think it was like 900 friends to like 100 friends. <laughs> and and um, shut down my old profile entirely. Wow. Damn. And now we're at a point, it's been two years. And so now we're at a point where friends of friends are starting to get the people you may know thing. Yeah. And so people are friend requesting me on my new profile wow. who... I haven't talked to about transitioning and people will just send me a friend request. And I'm like, did you look at my pro like, yeah, yeah. without any like acknowledgement of include a note or anything? No, 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 like acknowledgement of like, Hey, I know it's been a really long time since we've talked. I see you've changed your name. Like there's been none of that. So it's just like sort of random out of nowhere. People (laughs) will (laughs) request me and I'm like, uh, I, so I always have like if I'm really it. My general Facebook rule is like if I'm not in relationship with you or like you're not a part of my community or circle, yeah. Like I'm probably not going to say yes okay. to a Facebook request because gotcha. I just that's not really how I that's yeah. not really how I do it. Yeah, it's not not what social media is for you. Yeah, okay. But it was choosing that and like making that plan and like doing all that. That was really hard to navigate and figure out. Yeah, how how I would post and what I would post and what it would look like. And for the longest time, my avatars were all um, like bow ties. There was for a long time, it was like a mannequin with a suit jacket and a bow tie on it. Like not even pictures of me. Cause I didn't oh, wow. want like those mid transition pictures to people for people to be like, Oh my gosh, you look so different. Or like, Oh my gosh, you don't look different at all. Like I didn't want any of that. Yeah. So I tried to be very like not, posting those kind of things on totally social media at all during the point of transition. Yeah. Um, and so that part of it was, you know, that again, the standards of care do not in any way include social media. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> like what happens when you have 900 friends <laughs> on, conservative on Facebook? Yeah. Right. A yeah. huge portion of them were. And I was like, you know, yeah. I just don't, that would have been, that feels like it would have been a daily, thing that just would have been extra stress whether it's people trying to be um supportive but not right yeah like Mm -hmm. unintentionally being not supportive um or maybe not as unintentionally as they think um or people like trying to like proselytize or evangelize to you right about how what you're doing is wrong and um that just seems unnecessary to subject yourselves to yourself to in yeah right well or the constant questions yeah that also seemed like, like I just didn't totally want to get into all that. Especially when you're in that process of transitioning, right? Like, that probably looks a lot different for you in your life today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're, I think, at least in my experience, when I was um, starting hormones and when I was, you know, trying to make all the pieces fit and, like, figure out how to do this process in a way that would be um, affordable, safe, you know, all of those different things. Yeah. Um, and just accessible to me. Um, that was a huge challenge, you know? And so that kind of occupied my life and my time and school and everything else, you know, and work and relationships Mm -hmm. and all Mm -hmm. of that with all of that together. That's kind of all I had the bandwidth for. Right. Um, and that was a lot and I didn't need people's constant questioning of that process. Um, while I was going through it. Yeah. 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 Okay. So what are some other aspects of, excuse me, gross. (laughs) That's definitely going to get edited out. (laughs) Uh, So 
What are some other ways that you've experienced um, sort of that stealth and passing thing? Um, you know, social media, that's fascinating. Um, I think I've seen, I've never, I actually don't know if I've seen anyone that has started a new profile. So that's an interesting way to kind of like cut those old ties. Yeah. Um, but I like it. I think that's cool. Um, it allows you to create your own narrative, which we all deserve that, right? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Um, how else have you experienced that? Um, like the when when you've chosen to to pass and be stealth or mm-hmm. when you choose to be visible? Yeah. I mean, I think I, I have to acknowledge my privilege here sure. in this. Like, it wasn't too long into my transition that I pretty reliably passed. Right. Um, and there is, you know, passing is fraught, like, uh-huh. as a topic um, because not everybody can can yeah ever be expected to be able to pass right um and so when we talk about passing i think we have to acknowledge our privilege in this and like that you and i both pretty reliably pass at this point like i I have a lot of privilege because i'm tall and i got called sir almost exclusively before i transitioned anyway (laughs) so yeah i mean when you see a person who's six foot tall with a very dapper haircut wearing a bow tie (laughs) you know like all this all the symptoms all like all the signs point to that and so i got served all the time and then people would do the like oh my god (laughs) (laughs) i'm so sorry so now every time i get called sir i'm i'm sort of like cringing waiting for it like please don't please don't please don't Um, um, so, yeah. but so I think we just have to acknowledge that privilege. And I think especially, you know, for, for trans women, uh-huh. this is a much harder road in a lot of ways, especially for trans women who transition later in life. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the longer, you know, the, the longer it, you have to wait in order to have those hormones, the more work they're trying to do to change your body. And so, I mean, I think that there's a important thing to note there that when we talk about passing as though it's like an, an important step, Uh it leaves behind a whole lot of people who will really without a tremendous amount of medical intervention, never be able to pass. Right. Um, And I just think that's really important to acknowledge that absolutely and it's it is still passing within a gender binary right like that's what we're talking about um is being perceived as men um where people don't associate the trans part of our identities with us but just associate um associate maleness and manhood yeah um so that can be um that's a privilege and it can also be something that is challenging to negotiate in life yeah um since that's something that uh at least for me, when I look in the mirror, I see, you know, yes, I see the ways that I've transitioned, but I also see all the things that either can't transition the way I want them to, or I can't change about my body, you know, yeah. it could have been different if I potentially, if I, you know, was a cisgender man, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I still see my history, you know, like I still, I have that context of knowing what I looked like before transition and all of that. So, um, I carry all those pieces and insecurities with me, um, at any point, but passing means the rest of the world doesn't see any of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think that's, I, I think that as we talk about passing, like there are still some times, um, even as visible as we both choose to be. Um, I know there are some times we choose to like operate as stealth. Uh Um, when, when it, when it, 
is necessary or when it feels safe. And so yep. you, I think we've talked about a couple times, but like, can you share any stories about when you have chosen to be stealth, even as, even as a visible person? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, at this point, something that uh, occurs to me every time, so I work as a consultant now. So something that occurs to me every time that I send my information to a new client so that they can pay me <laughs> um, is that I don't have to, explain anymore right i don't have to send them my paperwork and say so this has a name that may not you know fit yeah. or this is a gender marker that may not fit with who you know me to be and this is why um i can just send my paperwork now and i don't have to come out to every person i work for or every you know in a business setting or um if i choose not to i do a lot because that's kind of the work that i do right like i teach a lot through my transition and i do equity and justice work so um i'm very out in that world but I don't have to disclose that to the HR person or to the billing people or, you know, mm -hmm. like that's, that's definitely a privilege, um, uh, of passing and being stealth. Um, that also is just practical, you know, yeah. like there's like, man, like it's, it's nice to just be able to send that paperwork and not have to say anything, but here you go, you know, yeah. <laughs> and then get a check in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, so that's, that's one way right now, my present life that is always sort of on my mind. Yeah. How about you? And that's, I, as you mentioned that, I think that's one thing I think about when I think about um, some of these laws around. So like in Arizona, in order to get your birth certificate changed, you have to have had surgery. Right. And there are right. lots of folks that can't afford to have surgery. Absolutely. It's very expensive. It's very expensive. Yep. It's There's a lot of gatekeeping around it. Absolutely. And there are folks who can't have surgery for medical reasons, too. Absolutely. So like, you know, in Arizona, you can't get your birth certificate changed. Okay. So right now, it's still legal, luckily, um, to get a passport with with the correct gender marker without having to have surgery. Right. And so, you know, I think about all of the ways that folks who have maybe less resources uh -huh. um, are having to navigate those same situations. Like, you know, folks who don't have opportunity to go stealth because they don't have access to the, you know, couple hundred bucks it costs to get a passport. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, you know, or access to surgery. And yeah. so they're having to submit paperwork that's like, here's, I, I have had a legal name change, but my gender marker is not changed. And here are all of the, these extra papers to show that. Um, and that is, that's just a, that can be a really humiliating oh, yeah. um, experience, but it can also be terrifying yeah because you don't know how the other person's going to react yeah i mean it was so i could not afford for a long time um a name change or a gender change or surgery right that was that was something so there were many years where i was giving an id with a name that definitely didn't fit the person they saw um in front of them and so i worked for a uh, for a brief time i worked for a catholic social service agency um, oh, and the for the director that I had started working with there with um, knew uh, who I was and didn't care. Right? She was very progressive. Didn't didn't care. Um, so a new executive director came in, um, and uh, my like employment conditions changed, and so I was going to like this full time promotion, different position, and so she wanted to see my paperwork. Um, and I just remember making excuses for weeks, being yeah. like, you know, just being like, oh yeah, I forgot it again. And like, oh, I don't know what to do. This person's really Catholic and like really conservative, oh, and has man. I'm really don't want to have this conversation with them, and eventually she was like, you know, you know, she, she pulled me into her office and was like, you have to bring in your paperwork. And she was just like, 
she her, where she went was different and it made me laugh a little bit because i was like oh wow um she was just like have you do you have a felony or something is that when i was like oh wow no and then i was like okay fine and i was like i'm trans and you know giving her my paperwork she didn't expect that she was like very uncomfortable <laughs> it was very do out you of have a felony right and i was like no <laughs> i'm trans <laughs> um oh man yeah definitely not the conversation she was expecting to have um but very uncomfortable you know having to have disclose this to someone who i knew had their own um religious and personal biases and prejudices towards people like me um which led to a very complicated relationship with this employer yeah um so you know that's that's a thing that's real that happens um and is definitely something that now that i don't have to disclose that you know and can just send in my paperwork uh, definitely a privilege that i lean into yeah <laughs> um, yeah yeah for sure and i think so and the I think there are also times when like my status as a trans man just isn't relevant to whatever it is that I'm doing. So like you talk about employment stuff, like I was in a car accident recently where I was rear ended and I had to go to a chiropractor and like, it turns out that my spine (laughs) and the nature of my spine has nothing to do with what parts I was or was not born with. That's shocking, Sam. I know. It turns out that a chiropractor doesn't need to know what's in my pants. Nice. <laughs> and so I chose not to tell them on any of the forms. Yeah. Like, I just, it it wasn't relevant. Yeah. It it didn't, I don't need, like, I didn't need anything from them except spinal adjustments. Right. Um, and so I chose to, to be stealth in that environment because I, you know, when you don't know how people are going to respond, a lot of times it's just easier. Yeah. Now, if it was a primary care provider, like it actually is relevant for them to know. Right. Um, and so, you know, there are, there are most times at a doctor's office, all disclose. Sure. Um, but sometimes it's just not worth that being another aspect of conversation. Like really what I'm looking for is my spine to be realigned so they don't have these headaches anymore. Like if you could work on that, that would be super duper. Yeah. And you don't need to know anything about your transition. Yeah. Chiropractor doesn't need to know anything about it to do that. Yeah. Um, I think that's just, it, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, we think of, we sort of conceptualize coming out as a one-time thing, right? When we begin. <laughs> well, the truth is, it's a daily thing. Like, yeah. There's always an opportunity to come out. And sometimes it's like, do I, do I need to take this opportunity to come out? Or is it fine to just go about, you know, my life and business? Yeah. Um, I think yeah. that's something that we're all negotiating kind of yeah. constantly. Well, and you and I have, have chosen to live in a very visible way. Like, yeah, there is, you know, when I came out in my employer, like I made a choice to real, like to come out hard. Right. And so like there are, I get calls and requests to talk about being transgender and the impact of our policies on transgender employees. Mm-hmm. And like all I, I get requests to do that kind of work all the time. Like I go out and I, t- I talk about being the professional trans guy. <laughs> like they're like, Oh, we need a professional trans guy. <laughs> I know a guy let's call Sam. Um, and so like, you know, we do this podcast. Um, we're both involved in the community. Like yeah. I, in a lot of ways I choose to be visible and I choose that because I think that it's important to me to be visible so that a nine-year-old who sees me can go, that's what's possible for me. 
if I want to come out and transition, like that, that I exist as a possibility for people. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I, and I think that that is a powerful and important thing that we can do as a part of our legacy. Right. Well, that's what, I mean, representation and visibility, right? If you can see people, um, who share identities or share experience that you can, that you also have. Um, it means that you can create a trajectory for your life beyond the moment you're living in. Right. And that makes it significantly more likely that you can accomplish those things. Right. Like if you, if you know people who have graduated from college, right. If you know people who are in the profession you want to be in or living the kind of life you want, you can begin to sort of manifest and materialize that in your mind, or at least imagine it right in your mind, um, in a way that allows you to take the steps to get there. Yeah. Um, and so representation and visibility are really key because of that, yeah. um, especially for young folks. Yeah. yeah. And our, you know, our trans ancestors worked really hard yep. to create a possibility for us yeah. that, did not exist for them. Absolutely. That's the thing that's really like that drives me is I think about um, our ancestors and like what they fought for was not about just themselves. Right. Because in many ways, what they were fighting for was not going to be afforded to them. Like it wasn't going to happen in their lifetime. And so they laid the stones in this path, Uh you know, a lot, a lot of times for people behind them. And I think it's important for us to say like, okay, we're going to keep laying stones. Yeah. We're, we're not going to stop and say like, we got ours. Right. Right. And, and now like, I'm just going to go live my life and just, do my thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like for me, that doesn't, that doesn't work for who I am right. now. I think we, we haven't said, but we probably should say like folks need to choose uh-huh. their, like the way that they work out their identity in the way that is best and feels safest and most comfortable for them. There are folks for whom like being stealth is a matter of life and death. Absolutely. Yep. hundred percent support that. Yep. And there are folks that like, even for their mental health, being stealth is a matter of life and death. Yes. Also. Yes. Um, There are folks who, you know, think that being trans is the least interesting thing about them. And so (laughs) they never tell anyone that because it's not important to them. Like, okay. Like, folks can choose to to live however works best for them right. and we you know we support and acknowledge that like right. our choices aren't the right choices right. our choices just, are just some choices and the right choices for us yes. it doesn't mean the right choices for anyone else so um, and we all you know whether you know it or not you are influencing and um, helping people in your life in some way, I'm sure, you know, like we're all connected to other people. And so who you are living your best life is making the world a better place. Yeah. Um, and so we support you in doing that. I think it's also important to note that these, the things that we're talking about, this idea of being stealth and passing, like those are societal expectations. Right. I would say every trans person feels those expectations as a pressure. Sure. Um, that when you say I'm trans, that people are looking to you to meet the standard heavy air quotes on standard (laughs) of masculinity or femininity. And so when folks are coming out as non-binary, they're working against that. Mm -hmm. Um, And when folks are, you know, folks are coming out as trans, maybe they're saying like, I actually don't want to be that kind of man. Like I don't want to be that kind of woman. You know, when we, one of the things I think is interesting that we talked about a little bit with Catherine, when she was here talking Mm -hmm. about the femininity episode is she's a long distance runner. Right. Like (laughs) she's a hardcore athlete. And so the ways that she does femininity are different Mm -hmm. than the ways that someone who's like 
maybe like really into high heels and pearls is going to do femininity. Like that yeah. just is going to look different. Yeah. Um, and so when, if as an ally, if you have a friend or a family member who's coming out as trans, uh-huh. recognize that you probably have some of those ingrained beliefs about what it will look like quote when they transition right i got a lot of questions about that when i first came out and did you get that level of stuff too oh yeah definitely yeah i mean i think so even when we're talking about gender and sexual orientation but especially gender um we're dealing with some of the most invisible but prevalent social constructions that human beings experience right Mm -hmm. there are so many expectations and so many um norms social norms around what men and women do and who men and women are um that are often just accepted as normal right air quotes for normal um but the truth is that the variety of human gender expression is so varied even within the cisgender population right when we're thinking of athletes versus uh you know beauty queens beauty queens perfect great example (laughs) um you know like there, there is no uh, woman's haircut, right? I can think of an enormous amount of variation, you know, that I can see at any place in Phoenix or anywhere mm-hmm. in the world um, with cisgender women, let alone all the, you know, everyone, every kind of woman, right? Yeah. Um, and so we sort of, we hold these, we hold these uh, assumptions about what masculinity, femininity, what man and woman, you know, what boy and girl are, even though what everything we see around us it proves that wrong pretty much constantly. Um, But I think that really comes into play for trans people uh, when people begin to put that on, you know, when they say, okay, you want to transition, you're going to heavy air quotes again, become a man, right. Or become a woman. Um, And so it will look like this and only this. Right. Um, So that's just a, that is a challenging thing to navigate in general um, because that way of, you know, these, ideals of being a man or woman, right? Aren't how pretty much anyone does man or woman. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say for, you know, for allies, especially recognize that, you know, that is, that's in all of us. And so, you know, whatever, whatever person you're talking to is also navigating that Yes, and being a, being a safe person to have a conversation about like, how do you want to, this was something that I thought about a lot. Like, how do I want to unpack masculinity and yeah. understand what it really is and the ways that toxic masculinity manifests itself and like decide what of masculinity I really want to embrace and what of masculinity I'm okay with saying, yeah, I want nothing to do with that. Right. And then how will I show up? What kind of a man will I be? Yeah. Um, that's a conversation that's really fascinating because trans folks get to have that in a way that I think a lot of cis folks don't. But um, I think should, but right? yeah, like should and all could can have that. Like everyone can make those choices about the kind of man, woman, and human being they want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but I think we get we've had an opportunity to be very intentional about yeah. that um, in ways that are different than cis people. Yeah, I think because we came to it late in life and we didn't yeah. get socialized that way. Exactly. I can look at I can look at masculinity in ways that I think when you're a fish who's been in water, it's like, describe water. Right. Okay. (laughs) It's just here or all around me. So it's a, it's a, it's an interesting thing. And if, if you as an ally can be a sounding board for that conversation, that's a, that's an interesting thing that you could be a part of, um, to help your friend or family member sort of navigate how they want to do that. Yes, absolutely. Great. Yeah. Um, 
I'm also interested to see how uh, younger trans folks and non-binary folks influence this uh, yeah. process 10, 20 years from now, mm-hmm. right? Um, because we're sort of still dealing with that legacy of the uh, Benjamin standard, standards of care, right? That was, yeah. there's one way to do this. You know, now, what is it on Facebook? There are 71 different gender options. Like, wow. we live in a world that is very different than, you know, mid-20th century uh, America, you know? Um, so I'm really curious to see what what this conversation is, you know, when we're in our 50s and 60s, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's going to be really cool. Yeah. Well, and when I talk to friends who have high schoolers, yeah. they tell me, like, like almost to a person, like every one of their high schoolers knows yeah. kids who are trans and queer. And like, right? that's just a part of their high school experience. Which and I am, my mind. yeah, I'm boggled <laughs> by that idea. <laughs> yes. Now, granted, even at my very, very conservative Christian high school, right. there were a whole bunch of us who later in life came out as queer. And we were all like, yeah, we all totally know each other. We're queer. Like we, <laughs> my, one of my classmates and I were both, Pretty. I mean, I, I don't think anyone was like super shocked when we came out as gay. Um, but we bearded for each other. We went to more than one dance together. We were like, we're like standing there awkwardly in the in the dance embrace. He will every once in a while pull out those pictures, and I'm like, you put it away. I don't want anything to do with that picture. Burn that picture. Burn that picture. Um, oh, and awesome. so you know, there's, but but we didn't know it then, right? And we as high schoolers had no concept that there was anyone else who was feeling the way that we were. Of course. And so, yeah. you know, these these kids that are high schoolers now are going to, like, their adulthood is going to look very different because yeah. they've sort of always had access to this knowledge in a way that I think we didn't. Absolutely. I'm guessing that's not, I'm guessing that's different in not a big city, probably. Uh, so I don't know about that. I mean, I have... Um young people in my family who live in small town, West Virginia, um, who have queer and trans kids in their class <laughs> that are friends of theirs and are a part of their lives and their family's lives. Um, which I was shocked by. I was like, that is amazing. Also a little terrifying <laughs> for those kids, but yeah. still <laughs> cool. And, and amazing that like, you know, either, um, the parents of the high schooler, right? Who's my cousin. Um, I guess my first cousin and then their kids. What? I don't know. I don't know this family <laughs> stuff. I'm not good at that. Um, but you know, willing to have that conversation with me being like, okay, so my kid has all of these kids in their class that are either trans or non-binary or queer. Um, I need to talk to you about what pronouns to use and like why I should use non-gendered pronouns and like being able to have that conversation with my cousin who lives in West Virginia. Pretty cool. That's super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think it hopefully bodes, uh, really well for the future, um, and for, uh, just a more, uh, both tolerant, um, and accepting society in the future. Um, but also hopefully some interesting redefinitions of what it means to do gender in general. Yeah. Looking forward to the future. For today's ally moment, we are going to talk about what you as an ally can do when you hear someone misgender a trans person in your life. Yeah. So 
this um this actually just recently not that long ago happened to me so it's been almost two years since i have been out at work yeah. and there are people who still use female pronouns for me oh yeah that's shocking to me like who can look <laughs> at you and use a female pronoun is just like i just want to smack that person because that's dumb yeah so the time that it happened that it was the worst mm-hmm. was my boss's boss so this is someone who's removed from me like yeah. in terms of like and and their and their level in the organization is high yeah and so i was in a meeting with her and then three other people who did not know me oh wow and were not at the organization when i had originally come out as trans okay. so these are people that ostensibly do not know that i am trans yeah. and in their view i'm just some dude who right. works at this organization yeah so we're in a meeting and she just like not just misgenders me once. And it wasn't just like, oh, she, I mean, he, like repeatedly over and over, never corrected herself. What? She probably used female pronouns for me nine, 10 times in the course of this conversation. And as she's doing it, I'm watching the other people in the room who are like, now they're clocking me, right? right? Now they're like, they're, they're like, like immediately looking at my pants zone, oh, like no. trying to figure out what is going on and like trying to like yeah. checking things out. And like, they're looking at her and then back at me and like every now everyone in the meeting is thinking about this and not about what we're talking about. Well, and everyone's uncomfortable. Like, could this person who is misgendering you not clock that? Like, could she not see that everyone was confused? And like, who are you talking about? What is happening? That just is like a level of obliviousness. But I guess to, to call you by female pronouns nine times, this person has to be pretty damn oblivious, quite frankly. Yeah. So we're, you know, we're doing that. Yeah. And then we leave the meeting and I'm realizing that like now the p- other people in the meeting could like, I've potentially been outed. That feels really uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm like super nervous. And this is someone who's much higher up in the organization than me. And oh. I had to send her an email. Wow. And like, I drafted this email. I mean, it took me like an hour and a half to draft this email. I sent it through several other employees to be like, is this gentle enough to like manage the feelings of the person who had just outed me? But it's important to do because of her level in the organization. And like, I don't want to not be employed anymore. So like, it was this huge undertaking. And, you know, so Michael and I were talking about this. And so we had some ideas about what allies could do Mm -hmm. if, you were in a situation where you heard somebody else being misgendered. Yeah. Um, and I mean, so here's the, I think the situation you're describing, Sam, just uh, details the amount of emotional labor that you had to do uh, for this person who is actually potentially doing harm to you, right? Like in your professional life, um, psychologically, mentally, right? Just you're generally uh, doing something that's making your work life uncomfortable for you. But then you had to do the emotional labor of not only fixing the situation, but making sure that they weren't offended, Yes, um, which is ridiculous. Um, so as an ally, um, and I've experienced this uh, in my life where uh, people have, uh, cisgender people have used their privilege um, to step into that situation, right? And to say, hey, just so you know, uh, you know, Sam doesn't use female pronouns. He uses masculine pronouns. So you should use those, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, just really quickly. Um, you know, it's something that anyone can pull someone aside and just say, just an FYI to you. I'm noticing you're using the wrong pronouns or you're using, you know, you're talking about this person in the wrong context. Fix it. This is, this is the right pronouns. This is the right way to talk about this person. Just so you know. Yeah. Um, and that way, 
you know, you're you're interceding in a, a polite and appropriate way that's actually making it not the trans person's responsibility to fix the situation, but putting the responsibility on the person who's doing the wrong thing, right? Um, and making it their job to fix. Um, yeah. yeah. It also, like, as a cis person, it doesn't cost you anything to have that conversation. Exactly. Like, you don't have to worry about their feelings because you're not the wronged or aggrieved party right like as the aggrieved party you can come off looking defensive or demanding or petty or whatever Uh but as another cis person being like dude not cool these are the pronouns you need to use then it's just like oh you're just a person so it doesn't cost you anything to do the labor and to have the conversation you're not in danger right so it's a way for you to use your privilege to ensure that you know a trans person's personhood is being respected absolutely Um, And, you know, uh, I think that this kind of allyship is something that you can do without the trans person ever having to know about it even. Um, You can just step up, take care of that, and help fix the situation. Yeah. And you can wrap... You can go back around and be like, hey, just so you know, I talked to so-and-so. Sure. And, you know, I heard they were misgendering to you, so I talked to them right. uh, and let them know. So it shouldn't be an issue again. So that Because if someone had said that, then I wouldn't have had to write the email, and that would have been uh, really nice. True. Yeah, good point. But, but you don't need to ask permission from a trans person to do that work. Yeah. Like, you're not speaking on their behalf. You're speaking as yourself. Yeah. So you don't really even need to ask. You can just say, like, hey, not okay. This is the These are the pronouns they use. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any new episodes. Our music is by Skylar Kurgle. Check him out at SkylarKurgle.com where you can see what he's up to and link to all his social. We want to hear from you. You can connect with us on TransformPod.com or on Facebook at TransformPod. We appreciate your questions and feedback. Email us at TransformPod at gmail.com. We really encourage your thoughtful and positive feedback. If you disagree with us, that's fine, but we will not engage in any name-calling or dehumanizing talk, so just don't do it. Thanks for going beyond the transition with us. Please tell me a story.